Hey, a note on today's episode. Wordplay is an important part of Irish mythology, leading speakers to be very careful about how they phrase things. This is a little hard to translate into English without ruining the effect, which is what makes things like gish so difficult to transfer. Today's episode does not involve a gish, but it does involve clever wordplay used to trick foes and friends into giving things unwittingly. So let's get down to it. Previously on Godacy. After being captured by the Fomorian chieftain Elatha, Lu has escaped with the help of the former Tuatha king, Nuwada. Lu must unite his people, but must do so secretly and quickly, for the Fomorians do not realize he has escaped. Having only five days, Lu now turns to the last person he would ever ask for help. His father's greatest enemy, Turian. Welcome to Godacy, episode 11. The Fine Prince. A downpour had caught him before he snuck into the back of the cottage, a long hall mostly of stone with a new thatched roof. The manor, for that was the right word for it, was almost as opulent as the palace at Kara. Almost no grass grew on the stones, moss only a rarity on the even outer wall. It lacked any livestock. So that part had been true. The Fomorians had taken everything from Turian. Lou groaned, sore from the run, and stared at the embers of the fire. The rain had stopped and the hills of me were visible out the window heading towards the center of the aisle. There were no lights in the house that he had seen from the exterior, and once inside, he was as silent as a mouse. There was no L that he could find in the dark, and he did not have the energy to summon the magic to find anything intuitively. He threw a log on the fire, loud enough to have been heard. He was comfortable now, and the unoccupied chair before him seemed to pose a challenge, reminding him that he could not lounge or linger. It was time to have this unpleasant discussion. It took Turian a bit, after whispers and grumbles in the finding of weapons. Lou listened keenly, like a fox on a hunt. Someone looked into the room and Lou turned to look at them. It was Turian. Lou smiled. I request your hospitality, Turian. The man said nothing, and Lee turned back. Well, come pour us a drink. We have much to discuss. I'm afraid I've made a mess of your floor. Turian said something to his servants and guards and entered the room. He carried a hammer and wore only a blanket, bearing muscles only in his arms. A servant entered the pantry, finding a clay pitcher and two wooden goblets. Give me a reason why you should deserve my hospitality, you blackguard. Because I asked for it. Are you not required? Tyrion seemed to turn red in the face at that. Not to braggart to break into my home. But let me show you the grace your father was incapable of. Be my guest. You look like you've been in the maw of Krom Kruik. Lou shook his head. That would have been a blessing. I have instead been in bondage, Tyrion, and met someone there. Tyrion leaned back, seeming to relax. Was it the idea of him in bondage, or the question of who Lou had found that relaxed him? Go on. I've run all afternoon and night to get here, and only did so because it was Nuada who allowed it. Turian was taken aback. Nuada? You found him? Not found, exactly, but Elatha, Balor's bannerman, made the mistake of taking me captive after your sons let off from the shore. Turian nodded. I thought it strange that your horse was still there. I had him brought to your grandfather's home. 
he took a step. Get to it. Nuada. Blue nodded. Thank you for Enbar, at any rate. But yes, Nuada. They kept him there, alive, in a mound made by one of the earlier invasions. They fear that if he's killed, we'll rise up. That's the right of it. It's enough that he's been imprisoned. He helped you to escape? Did they overwhelm you so you could not save him? Lou shook his head. He would not come with me. He broke the charmed ropes that bound me, so he's in possession of his powers, but his spirit is broken. He refused to come. The disunion of the Tuathani Danan has disheartened him, so instead of coming with me, he told me to unite our people, which I plan to do, but he told me to come to you. Trian almost choked on his ale. Why me? Because the people will listen to you. I am nobody for now. The other leaders are in their corners, it would seem. My uncle Mick seemed to agree with the disunity. Nawada said to find the Dagda, Ogma, and overthrow Perez. Tyrion chuckled. A full plot. Surprising that he would suggest you find the Dagda. They parted on unfriendly terms. Lou was curious, but did not pursue the line of inquiry. So how did you escape, your bonds broken? Do the Fomorians know you escaped, or did you slink off like a slime through the cracks? It was Lou's turn to laugh. You like that? No. It was her again. The Phantom Queen. A silence fell between them. It always did when the Morrigan came up. So why me? Why did King Nawada send you to me? Lou shook his head. I believe he wanted me to talk to the Dagd and suggested I speak to Angus. My grandfather said things are tense between him and Angus, for some reason related to Bruna Boing. Tyrion smiled at that. Your great-grandfather's house is a mess, son of Kiam. He is the greatest thief to have ever been, so it should be no surprise he sired an even greater thief. And I do not refer to your crafty father, though. Do you know the tale of Bruna Boing? Lou took a drink of his own ale, finding it bitter and hoppish. Farmers and brewers, the clan of Turian, were not. Long before we arrived, mounds were made here. Ancient mounds, a series of them, and the greatest of them was a palace that belonged to the River Boyne herself. We call her Bowen, and she lives not far from here to the north. You will find, boy, that there are many things in this island that are more eternal than even we. Great goddesses that rival the sovereign queens. The Kalik, the great crone of winter and bitter hunger, is one such power. Bowen is another, no less powerful, if less well-known, and many desired her in her time. It was Elkmere among our people who suited her fancy. A great judge of character was he. At their marriage, a great banquet was held, and it was there that Bowen met him, the dagger. Now I find no sense of handsomeness in his overlarge stomach or his wit, yet the great number of children he has seems to be a testament to his charm. Bowen was won over, and they fell in lust. Now you will note that among our people, marriage is no barrier to carnal lust. Marriage is a union of character and fortunes, but desire is master of many. Lou smiled. And you begrudge your, my father and your daughter their own desires? Tyrion's eyes shimmered. Thunder rumbled. Shall I finish my tale or remove my hospitality and replace it with a hammer? Son of Kian. Lou took another drink, and Tyrion continued. Elkmir was a powerful man, and he might not mind, but the Dagda's potency is legendary. If they were to lay with one another, she would beget a child. Elkmir, learning of this, forbade it, 
saying that he would not allow the child to come to terms. The Dagda appeared, and Elkmir was called away to Tara on business. Crafty as he was, the Dagda remained behind, the scoundrel, and laid with Bowen. To avoid Elkmir's wrath, the Dagda held the sun in place for nine whole months, so that Elkmir's words could not come to pass. Bowen carried the child the whole long day, and gave birth to him, yet the Dagda's plot was not yet complete. Elkmir returned to find a son, whom they named Angus, the Shining One, and flabbergasted discovered the truth. He did not begrudge the child its existence. But then, a traveler came to Brunaboyne, asking that he be allowed to dine with Elkmir. Still dismayed, Elkmir agreed, and the two drank. The stranger then asked if he might stay for a day and a night. Elkmir, deep in his drink, agreed, and that was that. Lou furrowed his brow. What was what? I don't understand. Tyrion grinned like a boar. You wouldn't. That is a clever trick. To say you give something for a day and a night is to give it forevermore. Elkmir was tricked into giving the stranger Bruna Boyne and Bowen for all eternity. Lou realized the truth. The stranger was the Dagda. Tyrion nodded. And Elkmir is one of Nawada's many names, Lu son of Kian. Yet I saw the Dagda Nawada there at the battlefield with the Fearbolg. How did they get along with such an injustice between them? Tyrion nodded. A question many have asked, but Nawada is honorable. He was tricked fair and square and gave ownership freely, if not knowingly. The lesson is, guard your words, son of Kian. Lu nodded. But the tale doesn't end there. Tyrion agreed, finishing his ale. No, but for the rest, you must go north. I shall go with you as a diplomat, as Nawada intended. We go to Brunaboyne in the morn. I shall send a messenger to your grandfather in the south, but you will take one of my horses. Now, I have a bed to get back to, and while it is still warm, if you would please, you can set up here by the fire for warmth. Tyrion stood up and made for the door, holding the sash of his blanket robe. No bed for a poor stranger. You push me further, son of Key, and I shall make Brez look hospitable by comparison. They were there before noon, riding along the coast for a time, heading north. They took haste past Tara, but it was ever long. Lou felt the nerves on his neck and kept his hood up. They came to a river fording, and began following it to the great stone bridge that crossed it, past a village with high walls on a hill above the river. Deeply entrenched, there was no sign of Fomorians. At the edge of the village, Tyrion called over one of its residents, and gave him a bag of wheat for his trouble to watch the two horses, saying that they would be back before sundown, and to be mum as to who they were, for when the man greeted him, he knew Tyrion at the sight of him. Lou was glad he still had anonymity to his name. They did not follow the river exactly, for there was a more direct road that led them to the foot of the Grand Mound at Brunaboyne. They caught sight of the other mounds, being cared for by hapless children of Danu and their underfed sheep. Tyrion explained that the livestock were hidden most of the time from the Fomorians to keep them from being taken. Despite how verdant the land looked, none of the fertile farmland around the wide River Boyne was being farmed. Lou thought it a shame. His people must learn to farm, if they were to survive in this place. They could not rely on the Fearbulk forever, and they were not the best teachers, it turned out. 
There were orchards of apples, sweet to the smell. Tyrion explained that the dag that had been gifted the orchard, which could be taken anywhere so long as he had but a single seed of one of his apples. Only he could grow the orchard, though clearly his kin kept it going despite his absence. The Grand Mound was tall, visible above the river, its top worked into a grand chamber that seemed to face southeast, a path leading up to it. Surrounding it were buildings of wood and stone around its wide, round, circular center. See how the mound faces the far southeast on the winter solstice when the Calic holds the world in her grasp and whispers wisdom to us all? The sun hits it perfectly. Light streams in, and while he lived here, the Dagda and Bowen divine secrets of the coming year. They were always right. Bowen still does, they say, but she no longer shares her secrets with the children of Danu. He led on, and there waved over a ferryman, and they crossed and took the steep path up, past sheep and a pair of massive pigs. There were more than Lou had expected, many packed into the stone sheds there. Strange as it seemed, the sheds were for the sheep specifically, and for rusted farming equipment. From the time when the land belonged to Bowen alone, and to the fearbulk she allowed to live in the surrounding area. He had never put much thought into the place. He had never heard of Bowen. The Fearbulg may be farmers who worked the land, but they were also pragmatic warriors. The hills and rivers were merely that. They had no soul. It's one of the many reasons most of the Fearbulg were not suited to rule this land. They ignored its soul. Lou thought of his foster mother, Talchu, the exception among the Fearbulg, who was a servant to the land and the sovereign queens. Lou heard him before he saw him, the plucking of a lyre that seemed to sing to the soul. A humming came along with it and there was a warmth beyond the power of the summer sun. Coming upon a more agreeable incline, the man sat on a stone, one of the ones that ringed the outer area of the mound. His hair was beautifully blonde, seeming to flow in the wind that did not come from anywhere in particular. He wore a loose tunic of red, breeches that were pale, and had muscles worthy of the title The Shining One. If the Dagda was rough and dirty with a charm buried beneath, Angus kept his charm at the forefront, and it shone from the core to exterior. He did not stop playing as he greeted them. Turian, always a pleasure. I didn't know you were coming, and you've brought the source of all your sorrows with you. Turian laughed, taking a seat on the stone beside him. Lou did not sit, not feeling particularly invited. Yes, I have, though by no need of my own. Lou here has found something you might find quite to your liking, and has been sent on a mission of a kind. Is the weather from the north fair here? I've not felt a cold northerly wind in some time, Thunderer. Does my brother know he's here? Lou realized the question and answer were a code between the two, and understood. It was safe from the Fomorians. He spoke for himself. A messenger was sent. Well met, great uncle. Perhaps, Lou, son of Kian. I was fond of your father, my favorite nephew. He had a way about him, much like my father, if less wise and less inclined to magic. Lou smiled. Tyrion seemed to growl at that and got on with it. Lou found Nuwada while he was briefly imprisoned by our foes. He's been told to seek your father and... And I would know where to find him. Well, of course. Angus never stopped grinning. He got himself in a bad way after I got what was mine. Lou cocked his head. What does that mean? Tyrion refused to tell me that tale. So you know how my father stole this place off Nuwada? Through trickery? 
Well, after I was born, I aged quickly. For youth and all that it entails is my domain, Liu son of Qian. So I became a youth. A youth I shall remain until I live under the mounds, and thereafter I shall be a master of joy and song and youth. So I did this for three years, and in that time my father, seeing the wreck the Fomorians were placing upon our people, decided to put his affairs in order, for it was he who had led us to Ireland, and among our eldest is he, goodly. So he distributed many a thing, an inheritance of knowledge and wealth for Bridget. Dian Set received the great secrets of Druidry, as did many of his other children. I could go on, but there is an omission, of course. I received nothing, nor word that any of this was going on. So when I arrived back home, I learned of this and realized that I had nothing. So I began to plot. Father is especially difficult to make drunk. But in my wandering, I learned from the Fomorians the way to make a honeyed brew called mead. And so I told my father I would make it for us. And oh, so I did, and it was delicious. But you see, part of youth is being able to resist such things, and as the lord of youth, I handled my drink well and saw a poetic justice sitting before me. So I laid the trap. I asked my father, as a far traveler, if I might stay at Brunaboyne for a day and a night. And do you know what he did? He agreed. Lou smiled. You tricked him as he had tricked Nawada from this place. Angus continued to play, grinning throughout. Tyrion showed no pleasure in the telling. For his part, Lou realized a gaping hole in Angus's story. So what became of him, your father? Angus stopped, setting his lyre aside. In a fit, he made trouble with the Fomorians. He left his harp and cauldron here and took his club north and there made trouble with a minor Fomorian chief. By the dozens he slew them, and it took a whole host of them from the sea to take him down at last. He's not dead, but I think he works clearing the old causeway up there. Lou nodded. And you are on good terms with the Fomorians? Angus shrugged. I am not enamored with them, but I see little reason to cause trouble until the trouble is worth it. I am a rogue, but I'm not stupid. Lou nodded. Where is your mother in all this? Angus pointed up to the mounds. When she's not down in the river, she's up there. She misses him, you know. They loved each other. In spite of their infidelities, Lou found himself saying, Why should that bother them? They're beings of passion. Mother has her lovers, father has, or had, his. The only one that concerned Mother was the fact that Dagda is the only being married to the Morrigan. The whole Morrigan, that is. Lou found himself shocked. All three? Well, they brought our people here. The Dagda was the chief of our people, and the Morrigan the master of fate. He was bound and driven by fate, and in great things he seeks her counsel. And her counsel comes at a cost when it is not free. Lou understood that all too well. I will go speak with her then, but a word of advice, great uncle. Why do you think great grandfather gave you nothing? Angus shrugged, looking at his lyre. Spite, I would think. He's mad at my wit, that it's greater than his. Yet is that not the desire of all fathers, that their children should surpass them? He looked at Turian. Is that not your desire, Turian? Were you not proud when your son slew my father? 
Tyrion glared at him suddenly, but did not correct him. Of course, it was true. And of all the children he gave things to, he did not give his greatest things away. He kept the cauldron, kept the harp, kept the club, and most importantly, he kept this place. Perhaps I'm wrong, a mere idiot. But it would seem to me as if the dagger was saving the best for last. For the best, that is. He would have given it all to you if you would have waited. Lou bowed and turned, heading up the slight incline to the mound at the center. No words passed behind him, and he was well out of earshot before they continued talking. He felt naked, without spear or sword or hound, and realized he felt as feeble as the day the sons of Yakid chased him, threatening his life. Turian and Angus could come for him, and that would be that. They did not, of course. His uncle Mick had been right. The bickering among their people was petty and foolish. That Angus felt so jilted was sad more than anything. Clever to some, but to Lou it seemed pathetic. It seemed difficult to Lou that the Dagda, legend that he was, would be so foolish as to just give up Runa Boyne the same way he gained it. But this bickering, whatever it was, must stop. His people had to come together. The mound was gorgeously constructed, a brilliant sight of green and gray in a land that was now so dreary and cold, even in summer, where only the yellow grew. He felt the power, felt the energy coming off of this each spiral stone in the mound. The palace of Tara was old, but this was eternal, forever mocking the land, invulnerable to even blight and bother, and inside the mound was the source of that power. Tall as he was, he did not need to duck beneath the passage. The Dagda, he thought must struggle to get through here, though. The walkway within was difficult, but illuminated, he could see her, dressed in a blue robe. She was comely, not at all what Lou expected, with chestnut hair and eyes, and with the palest skin Lou had yet seen. It was as if a polished river rock had come to life, with the dimples, and she turned to him, smiling. You must be Lou. The stones have told me as much. You've questions, but I do wonder which answers you'd like first. That my husband is at Giant's Causeway in the north? That you must take Angus with you, though Turian will not come? I needn't tell you a plan. You already have that. Your love life will be a sad affair, I'm afraid. But you aren't going to ask that. You'll see tall to you again, and your love for her as a love for a mother will be the greatest thing in your life. The Andana she are coming, and they are watching you. You will find your way in all this, and you will unite our people. But success is harder to tell. Lou laughed, feeling he did the night that Taltu had told him his fate. You move quickly, like your river. It is a pleasure to meet you, Bowen. Thank you for not calling me your great-grandmother. I'm no such thing. Rivers are ageless, as long as we are fed. Unlike our ancestors or your gods of yore, I will survive as long as this land does. The rest of you rely on your stories and the value that it gives you. The land will tell your stories, you hope. But tell me, Lou, which of the plans you have divined will you choose? You've already formed it in your mind, so do tell. Lou smiled. Well, it goes like this. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sydney Yeager, Queen of the Washita River. Music by Scott Buckley who can be found at www.scottbuckley.com.au. Like us, love us, want some more of us? Leave a review on your podcast service of choice and then leave gifts for the fairies, probably bread and honey.
not cookies, though. That's a bridge too far. Want to reach out to us? Find us on social media at The Goddessy Podcast and say hi. I promise I won't trick you into signing over your house to me. Wink! Want to support the production of the show and get early episodes, behind-the-scenes shenanigans, and my undying gratitude and a favor bound by blood? Look for us on Patreon. All those links in the description. Goddessy updates every Monday. See you next week. <laughs>